Okay, we're learning Kitesa. I came, when I came here tonight, I was listening to the radio. Which is not a good thing to do. But it's worse to fall asleep while you're driving. So this is the radio. Someone on the radio said this. And it's in the parasha of Kitesa. They were talking about about being idealistic and being able to go to war, you know, with the proper ideals. This was the subject. So he said, well, it's in the parasha of Kitesa because you see Kitesa is about going to war. And the whole parasha is full of rules of war. This is not correct. The parish of Kitesi is full of rules, but they have nothing to do with war. They're just a collection of mitzvot. Now, if you ask the really big questions, which we've alluded to since we started talking about the book of Dvarib, how come they're here? Why aren't they in the rest of the book of the Chumash? Isn't it true that B'nai Israel was supposed to go to Eretz Israel in the parish, in the book of Bamidbar? What would have happened to all this Torah that we missed out on? And all those kinds of questions. Uh, how come it became like, you know, this repository of mitzvahs, which is very similar, which is very similar to the parish of Mishpatim in that way. Parish of Mishpatim has a lot of Mishpatim in it. And the parish of Kitetse has a lot of Halachot or Dinim in it. None of which have anything to do with well, there are a few halachot that are connected. But we're not going to ask that question tonight, even though it's a, it's a reasonable question to ask. It's just that I'm not sure I know how to answer it. So it's a question. We keep it in the back of our minds. If something good happens along the way, we'll use it to answer the question. But the question that I'm going to ask, or what I want to discuss with you, is a particular mitzvah that is mentioned in the parasha of Kitetse. And that mitzvah is an odd mitzvah. Shiluach Hakan. I would imagine that there isn't a person in this room who's ever done this mitzvah. I would imagine that if you stretched and thought about all the people you ever knew, parents, grandparents, friends, relatives, or people you knew of, or a kind of human interest stories that you might read in some art scroll of biographies of kind of book, I don't think they would mention and the Rebbe. You know, either I was on his way to saving the old widow or doing a miracle in the forest. Also, happened to perform Shimur HaKan. I've never seen that. Never seen that said. Even though you should know that today in Eretz Yisrael there's a, a, an aguda, which means a company. A company that uh, it doesn't have to report its financials. That's what an aguda is. A what? No, but it's, it's something special that they have in Israel. Something special. They don't have it in America. Well, there's a, so there's this company, and they are dedicated to forgotten mitzvahs. That's what they do. So if you, they have a number, 800 or 777, or one of those kinds of numbers. You call them up and you say, I'd like to do the mitzvah of Shiluah So they say, okay, for X number of shekels, you can make me your shaliach. To do the mitzvah, and then they do it, I guess. I don't know. 
And then they call you up and they say, you did it. Right? Which is, which is just an interesting sideline. But in fact, there are also several svarim, some of which I own, which discuss the halachas of Shulevikah, just in case you want like this handbook. They're handbooks, halacha books. Most of them are very good, you know, very knowledgeable. Which, you know, just in case you're able to do Shiluchakad, the problem is that most people might consider doing Shiluchakad in the nest that the birds build in the window of their bathrooms. But you can't do that. Because you can't do Shiluchakad in private property. And we'll see that halacha in the Pasuk itself. I mean, you might want to get rid of the nest or something, but that's not going to make it in Shiluah HaKad. Why? Because it says, Ki Yikarei Katsipo Lefanecha Baderach. Ki Yikarei. The word Yikarei in Hebrew means Mikre. The word Mikre means, uh, in the philosophers would say, accident. Something that was not planned. That wasn't thought of in advance. Baderach. Bechol Eitzo Alaharetz. Okay, that's how birds are. Ephrochim or beitzim. Ephrochim are chicks. Beitzim are eggs. Vahaim revetzed ala ephrochim ala beitzim. And you see the scene. There's the mother sitting on the ephrochim, the chicks, or the beitzim. Lotikach ha'eim ha'banim. So there's some kind of a position that the Torah adopts, right? Assuming that you want the beitzim. Or the Ephrochim, don't take the mother away from the children. What do you do? So there are two questions that everybody understands. Firstly, what is the Torah's concern here? I mean, what do you mean? I mean, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? I mean, if you want the mother, let's say you want to eat now. So I guess you want the mother, right? Let's say you want to eat in three months, so you want the chicks. I mean, I, I, I don't understand exactly what the, what the issue is. Now, in the back of our minds, we all know this has something to do with being merciful. Right? Now, being merciful is something that we learn from ourselves, from internal. We don't know exactly how the animals are to each other. But we know how we are to each other. So we would say, would you say that it's a lot better to kick out the mother and take the chicks? That's not like being very merciful to the mother. Or taking the mother and leaving the children. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, if you forgive me, I just don't get it. I don't get how to start. I don't see how to start making any sort of interpretation. Let's see what Rashi says. Oh, and then the second question, of course, is, that the Torah here emphasizes reward. And that emphasis at the end of the Pasuk is Liman Yitavlach. In other words, it's as though the Torah is saying, look, every mitzvah, obviously you do a mitzvah, you get a reward. But this mitzvah is a little shaky. Like I know that you're like you're not going to be enthusiastic about this mitzvah. So the Torah emphasizes, the Torah emphasizes that you're going to get stock options. Well, you're going to get a portfolio. I mean, for all the mitzvahs you do, you get stock options, you get a portfolio. But for this mitzvah, we tell you, it's immediate. You don't have to wait for the next quarter. You don't have to wait until some accountant, you know, puts it all together. 
it's going to come right away. Laman yitavlach, varachta yamim, and you live a long life. So, you know, varachta lo yamim was from Chazal, a problematic pair of words. You'll have a long life. Because, you know, you look around, and you see that good people don't always have good lives, and, and miserable people sometimes live forever. And so long life uh, became uh, a subject of interpretation. What is a long life? Is it quality life? Is it, you know, you know that kind of that kind of thing? And and it wasn't quite certain really what varachta means, but it would seem that it's a reward. That there's a reward implied. So now let's look at the Rashi. Rashi says, <coughs> Rashi quotes the famous midrash that we all know since we're children. <coughs> some of us even earlier you know the, when the Malach some people when they're born the Malach is off that day and they just remember everything you know those kind of people that know all the Torah it's always because the Malach missed them you know in Mitzvah Kala Shein Bachisor and Kis if you do this Mitzvah but you do a you do the Mitzvah of Lulav and Eshwin you have to buy it you have to do the mitzvah of Yechilah's matzah. You have to buy it. This mitzvah, there's no out-of-pocket expense. Right? You just, and you, you don't go to the mitzvah. You can't even take a bus to the mitzvah. It just happens. Right? You have, you're walking around, and you walk into the mitzvah. Right? So, so no expense. Zero expense. So the Rashi says, if a mitzvah that you could do without spending any money at all, about that mitzvah, you get this tremendous reward of yitavlach and varachta yamim. And even though I don't know exactly what those words mean, but sounds good. Right? Okay, I don't know exactly what it means. But good things can happen. Yitavlach, that's good. And varachta yamim, that's also good. So good, good. I don't know what it is, but I'll take it. Like if somebody's going to turn down good, good, nobody. And for no money, for nothing. So if you happen along, and there's a case of, of Shiloh, I can't do it. So it says, if in fact, it's this, was the, this is what, you know, that, that uh, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot, the use of this phrase, right? Al-Tiyeh, right? That, that uh, I, I'm, I'm mixed up, but the, the phrase is, what? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Right, right. Right, that that somehow, somehow in the Mishnah we're missing the definition. We're missing the definition of mitzvah halach. The Mishnah says, what's a, a mitzvah is a mitzvah. I mean, what the easy mitzvah, hard mitzvah, the obligation exactly the same. Right? So the Rambam, in the Perushan Mishnah, there, the Rambam has a certain difficulty in trying to explain what a mitzvah kala is. Because the Rambam, of course, said, what God tells you to do, that's, that's it. What do you mean mitzvah kala? I mean, how could anything... I, it, it, it's, every mitzvah is equally easy, and every mitzvah is equally difficult. Let's say, if, if, you, uh, if you live in a place where there are no etrogim, which was once the case, so etrogim suddenly became uh, like a very difficult mitzvah to accomplish. But it's not a mitzvah kala. 
It's the same thing. It's just, just circumstances make it difficult. It's not like there's any difference to me. So the Rambam says, the Rambam says, in the parish Hanishnah, the Rambam says that a mitzvah halah is learning Torah in Hebrew. What do you mean what? I just said it. Learning Torah in Hebrew. What? That's called a mitzvah kalah. A mitzvah kalah is a category. It's not a statement about mitzvot, according to the rabbi. Every mitzvah is exactly the same. What's a mitzvah? A mitzvah kalah. It's an adjunct mitzvah. It's, a, it's something that you add on to the mitzvahs. Right? Like, like learning Torah in Hebrew. Of course, the humorous thing is that the Rambam wrote it's on the Mishnah in Arabic. Ah, oh, you see, so... Uh, uh-huh. Lashem yes. It's not Hebrew. No, the Mishnah has to learn Torah in Lashem Right? So, so any, anyway, this notion of mitzvah is not a simple one. But the Rabbi, but the Rashi seems to say, mitzvah gis, that you don't have to do anything. You have to go anywhere. You don't spend any money. That's a mitzvah So he says, at that, you get this tremendous reward. So this is like, you know, uh, this is the beginning of reform Jewry. But this Rashi, but we reform Jewry. The Rashi, because the, the the Jew will come and say, look, if I can measure all the mitzvot, easy and hard, so I'll do the hard one. Right, I'll do the hard. Well, I'll go to shul on Yom Kippur. That's hard. I'll fast on Yom Kippur. That's hard. So in exchange, I'll weigh it out. I'll make it like some kind of cheshbon, and all the other mitzvot that are easier, I won't do, because I get so much credit for my one day. A fasting that I don't have to do all the other mitzvah. But that's what, that's what Rashi says. Along comes uh, this Rashban. You see the Rashban? <laughs> the Rashban says, Lo The Rashban tries to explain, the Rashban, Rashi's grandson. The Rashban tries to explain, he says, The feed derech eretz, the Shuvat Haminim, Klaperashli, Belotabashel, Gedi, Bechalevi, Mot, Shuvat Haminim. In other words, I've already responded to the apostates who have take issue with things in the Torah, and I've already written my response on a different Pasuk in the Torah, Lotabashel, Gedi, Bechalevi, Mot, that you shouldn't uh, cook the meat of a Gedi, of a with the chalevi mo, with the milk, his mother's milk, the chaymotov and bino, and also there's another halacha that the Torah says you're not allowed to slaughter oto, that bino, biyomechad, meaning a, a mother and a son, shedome laachzariyut liravtanut, lakachad lishkot lvashev lachol heima badim yachad. So the Rashbam mentions that there is an obvious point in the Rashbam, there is an obvious reason for Shimurah Hakan. And the obvious reason for Shimurah Hakan is that the Torah wants to teach us Midot. How do you teach Midot? Right? How do you teach Midot? In school they think that the way to teach Midot is to talk endlessly about them. Which, I can't tell you, doesn't work at all, but... I don't think it works all the time. 
Another possibility is to do midot. But of course, then no one can figure out what doing midot is exactly. Because, well, this is a different uh, discussion. But uh, the Rashbam says the Torah was interested in developing the midah of mercy in the Jewish people. And therefore, it told us things that are merciful. Shiluah Hakan is merciful. Otovetz Bidno is merciful. And Lotev Hashel Gidi Imo is merciful. So whether you agree with this position or don't agree with this position, the Rashbam has taken us to a new level of discussion. And the discussion of the Rashbam is, do mitzvot have a purpose? And is there purpose character development? Is it that the Torah has some idea of what a good person is? And a good person is not just the person who accepts the rules and lives by them, but a good person also develops certain qualities. So you say, is the mitzvah staka? Right? The mitzvah of giving charity. Is it socially designed? Is it like I want to straighten out society? It's bad for society to have people who are very poor. So all the people who are not very poor should organize themselves in a way that society would be better. Or is it that there's a special kind of issue here. A person who is able to part with his, with his property is a different kind of person than one who hoards property and can't part with anything. And that the person that the Torah is interested in is a person who has a certain attitude about the property that he has accumulated. And that stakah is not just a mitzvah that is about straightening out society or smoothing out the world in some way, but stakah is about making a certain kind of person. Now, rachmanut. Rachmanut is a very important quality that the Jewish people have. The Gemara Yuvama says that the Jews are rachmanim, baishanim, and gomlei chasadim. Now, this is a very interesting statement. Rachmanim, they have mercy. Baishanim, they have busha, which is a very difficult word, and worthy of a discussion. Busha means to be embarrassed. You're embarrassed about things. And gomlei chasadim means that they give, uh, that they do chasad. Now, of course, the fact that the Gemara says it is not so impressive. Because the Gemara says all kinds of things. Gemara is a tremendous repository of all kinds of ideas, all kinds of things, and okay, so the Gemara says it. But the Rambam also says, that's impressive, that the Rambam in his book of Halacha says something about the character of Jews. What's it got to do with Halacha? What's it got to do with the Halacha that she say in a book of Halacha that the Jews are Rachmanim by Shilingom Lechazadim? So the Rambam says it in the following context. He says, that if you if you meet a girl Ram doesn't say it's sort of you understand you meet a girl and then uh, things are uh, going along very well so the next step is to meet a family as you go to the family you see that the brothers are screaming at each other and cursing and throwing things at each other and, and acting in a very kind of uh, simple and unreasonable manner so the Ramam says, 
Don't marry that girl. Don't marry that girl. Because she might not be Jewish. <laughs> so, in other words, that's how it gets into halacha. That's what I meant to say. That, so according to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, we call it today, we call it genetic. Right? Genes tell us the truth about something. Like you say, send it for genetic testing, and then, then you'll know, right? Then you'll know. The Rambam said, you don't need genetic testing. Just listen to him. Just listen to talk. Listen to the way he acts and interacts with people. There's Jewish and there's non Jewish. I'm not sure it'll work today. I understand. We've been through a lot. And you, and you know, everybody, half the Jewish people are psychologists, the other half are patients. So I mean, so it's like, yeah, and then, and then they switch, Monday to Thursday, they switch around. So like, you know, uh, okay, I understand. I understand, but, but uh, 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 Rachmanut became in the eyes of Chazal and then later on in the Rambam a determining quality of the Jewish people. And the Rashbam says, the Rashbam says that the Torah is interested in this. That the Torah is interested in this. Now the Rambam, this is, and the Rashbam repeats it in this, this other passage in Shemos which you have in your at the top, which you can look at. Now I'm up to the Ramban. But first I have to tell you the part of the Ramban that's not printed on the sheet, which you should all learn. There's a wonderful Ramban here, which takes up the problem of what we call today Ta'amei HaMitzvot. So it says, are we supposed to think about mitzvot as having a reason? Now you know one of the, one, one of the people who thought this all the time was the Ramban. The Rambam in the Moran Nebuchim, I'd say like a third of the Moran Nebuchim, is devoted to answering that question. What is the reason for the mitzvah? And for the Rambam, the reason for the mitzvah is always the individual, the commu- his family, the society, or the community and the society. That's the reason. In other words, it's as though... HaKadosh Baruch looked at the world and said, look, you know, these people are not going to be able to organize properly. I've got to give them guidelines. So the Torah did that. And we call those mitzvot. Yes, they are commanded by heaven, but they are our interest. They're for us. They're for us. Now, this for the Rambam was very important because the Rambam had to separate the mitzvah willed by God and the notion that the mitzvah was for God in some way. Because the Rambam's idea of God was that God was not missing anything and God didn't need anything and there was nothing we could do for God and therefore the problem of mitzvah came up. So if we can't do anything for God so why God keep telling us what to do? So according to the Rambam God tells us what to do for our good. That's how the Rambam, the Rambam doesn't deny has to show them that the mitzvah is a mitzvah. Or that the Torah is the Torah. Or that in Har Sinai these mitzvahs were given. All that is part of, of the Rambam's speculative understanding. So the Rambam says, what is Shiloh HaKad? Like the Rambam. The Rambam is before the Rambam, but you know, he goes at length into this, into this question and he says, Shiloh HaKad, mercy, the Torah tells us that mercy is a good midah. 
and that we should be merciful, it gives us a few hints at how to develop that trait. So whether the Rabbi basically actually go around the Yiddush Shluchakad, or every year the Pasha Kitetze comes up, so you see the bits of Shluchakad, do you think again about being merciful, etc.? The Ramban, as you know, was a capitalist. The capitalists, I mean, I like, I'll make a general and imprecise statement, but I'll make it for the purposes of progress. Capitalists like to think that God wants you to do the mitzvah because in some way it's good for Eden. Yes, it is good for us to do the mitzvahs. No Kabbalist would deny that. But for the Kabbalists, it's absolutely unreasonable to imagine that God would create the world and not want to create the world. So you say, well, why did God want to create the world? So, I don't know why God wanted to create the world, but let's see what the parameters of my thinking are. According to the Kabbalists, if God wanted to create the world, then God must have, I'm sorry, if God created the world, then God must have wanted to create the world. Because if God didn't want to create the world, then the world would never be created. This seems to the Kabbalists to be perfectly reasonable. The Rambam doesn't like it. doesn't like it that we could cop onto to something that God wants, as though God needs, as though God lacks. All of these notions are very uncomfortable for the Rambam. So the Kabbalists would say, if God wanted to create the world. Now you know the Arizal wrote, the Arizal wrote nothing. Which is, you know, you know that there are, this is my, my hope, that in Jewish history, there have been many great people who never wrote anything. Not a word. No blood. No blood. So the, the never wrote a word. Never wrote anything. But he had, he had very devoted students who wrote it for him. Right? Primary among, primary student amongst them was Rechaim Vital, who was like an English writer. He just wrote nonstop about everything. So Rechaim Vital wrote a book. He didn't write a book. He wrote like pieces of paper which were eventually collected into a book. And that book, one of the big book, is called Eitz Chai. That's what it's called. Eitz Chai. So, you know, if you ever go, if you ever go to, want to go to a Shia, in Kabbalah, and it's Eitz Chaim, I just want to tell you, it's pretty boring. But, the first chapter in the Eitz Chaim, which represents the primary question of human existence is why did God create the world? First question. Ariza. That's the way that's what that's how you start off. That's your introduction to the Kabbalah. Right? Not about the Kabbalah, but in the Kabbalah. If you're in the Kabbalah, that's how you start. Why did God create the world? And what is the Arizal's answer? Now, I think, you know, his Arizal's later than the Ramban, but, you know, it is a tradition, and we can do that. I mean, maybe some people don't like it, but who cares? Well, but, you know, like I said, once you know who came before and who came after, you can act as though you don't know. Right? It's, just, it's important to know, but you don't have to, you know, harp on that. 
So the answer of the Arizal is Chaim is because before the creation of the world, God was not able to show mercy. Because there was nothing to be merciful at. Nothing to be merciful about. So that this revelation that Moshe Rabbeinu had after the Cheta Ego, after the sin of the golden calf, and that revelation is in the Torah, it's written in the Torah. It says, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Bechamu, that revelation is the beginning of the understanding of God according to the Ariza so now let's understand according to the Rambam you should stay away from trying to say something about God which is in that language that I learned when I was growing up anthropomorphic but you can't make God, you can't personalize God. You can't say God has feelings, that God has interests. All of that is bad. So the Rambam says that if there's a mitzvah, if there's a mitzvah, it's because God wants us to be better. He wants us to improve. Why does God want us to improve? Okay, you know, this can go on forever. But when it comes to mitzvahs, that's what the Rambam holds. According to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, everything that God does, and everything that God directs us to do has also divine reflection. In other words, in some way, it appeals to heaven. So that if, if you sit in a sukkah for seven days, even though the Torah says clearly why you're sitting in the sukkah for seven days, why? Because when you went to the desert, you were sitting in sukkahs, and it's a good thing to remember special moments in your own history. Because, well, whatever, like sukkahs, everybody will talk about that, and all the children will be bored. But, but that's, that's what the Torah says. Along comes the Kabbalah, the Kabbalists. And the Kabbalists say, yes, of course that's true. Of course it's good for us. Of course it makes sense to us. But you have to understand, there's also the heavenly dimension that living in the Anane Kabod, in these, you know, clouds of God's, uh, uh, God's enterprise, these clouds that protected us, that is, that is part of what's happening on Sukkot. We're sitting in a sukkah because God wants to sit with us in our sukkah, as opposed to God wanting to sit with us in our house, in our shul, in our temple. So you see that the Kabbalists, quite the contrary to the Rambam, do not shy away from the notion that God wants something. That God wants something. And that's what the Ramban tries to explain in the Ramban that is not quoted on the sheet. But the Ramban says, the Ramban says, it would seem to me, in this particular case, the Ramban says, look, I can't leave the commentary without quoting a Kabbalistic text. 
the Kabbalistic text that he quotes is called the Sefer Habahir. The Sefer Habahir. Which, you know, you can buy in a, in a, one of these American bookstores for some outrageous price. It was translated by Arya Kaplan. Very good, very good translation. The Sefer Habahir is an early, for us, you know, compared to late, is an early Kabbalistic work, which the Ramban quoted often, the Sefer Abahir, and the other early Kabbalistic book that we have, that we use, is called Sefer Yitzirah. The Sefer Yitzirah is about the Alephet, it's about the letters as building blocks of, of existence, somehow, that the Alephet created the world. But it's not just letters in a language, but, you know, it's a very interesting idea. And the Sefer Abahir is a collection of, it looks like bright notes, on different topics in Torah, which might be called a commentary. So the Ramban says, look, I've gone through this whole discussion about what God wanted, and does God want, and is there a Tam Hamitzvah that is disconnected from God or not, right? All of this I try to uh, sort of in, uh, let you in on, but you have to learn through the Ramban. But here the Ramban then goes and ends by saying the following. By saying the following. He says, you see the Ramban? It's on the, on the main side, the third, in the third paragraph. It says, Medrashol Shurabi Nechunaya HaKone. Right, Nechunaya HaKone, it was the Tano to whom the Sefer HaBahir is attributed. And Ramban always calls it Medrashol Shurabi Nechunaya Ben HaKone. Right, in other words, he's going to quote. He's going to quote something from a book. But he quotes this book, he quotes this book because he's the Ramban. And he, he is openly committed to the Kabbalah. It's not as though it's, it's a secret. Like every third pasuk, every third pasuk of his commentary includes some Kabbalistic some Kabbalistic notes. So, I mean, uh, even though we are kind of used to skipping it because we don't like to learn things that we don't understand, uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, it's there. I mean, you can skip it, but it's there. So he says, V'shiloh he says, when he discussed, the Rav Nechunayah Ba'akona discussed the mitzvah of Shadok HaKan, Medrash, sheyesh ba mitzvah so. Medrash, sheyesh ba mitzvah so. Yesh ba mitzvah so, so is a, um, a code word for Kabbalah. Kabbalah in Parshanut. I'm going to tell you what Kabbalah is. It's another language. Like the Rambam might call it a metaphor. What's a metaphor? It's like a code. I, I, I'm, I'm doing it in like a very simple way. So if you say, uh, if you say God's right arm destroyed the Egyptians, the Yad Chazakah, does it mean that God has an arm? Doesn't. It's a metaphor for strength, for being impressed. Right? It's a metaphor. Metaphor means that you take the words and you say that they're a code. They, they don't mean that God has a Yad Chazakah. But it means rather that it was very intense, right? There was a tsunami when they left, uh, when they left Mitzrayim. So, 
is the same thing. It's a, it's a, it's a code. So the soul, the Kabbalah, looks at this mitzvah of Chiloh HaKad and says, what's going on here? How come this is so important? How come this mitzvah that nobody does it gets a spot in the Chumash? I mean, like, who's interested in Chiloh HaKad? I mean, who's interested? Who, whoever gets involved in this? I mean, what's the benefit to reading the Tupsukim? And why is the, why is the reward of Lamanya Rikhunumecho such a great and unique reward. All of that is like the cat going through the mind of the capitalist. Like it might go through anybody's mind. But it goes through. So what's their solution? Their solution is that when you read the Psukim, it's really talking about something else. Right? Really talking about something. We usually think that there's shot and there's drash. What's shot? We, we, we think pshat is, that's what it says. And what's drash? Well, it's not what it says, but it's cute. Right? So, so that means we divided up chazal into two groups. Right? We have real and cute. But the, when chazal said the drash, they didn't think they were saying cute. They thought they were saying real. And it was, they had a sense, they had a sense that words are not just the first meaning in the dictionary. They're not just the way it seems to us, you know, immediately. But words apply to all kinds of different levels of understanding, comprehension. And so, shot. It's such a thing. It's like the first understanding. My first level of a drash is there. It's in the positive. I mean, nobody thinks that drash... I mean, why would a person who thought that the drash is sort of imaginary spend his life doing that? I mean, it seems like um, idle, idly spend time. The same thing is true about the Kabbalah. You have to say the Ramban says in the introduction to the Torah that when Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah, received the Torah, the Ramban says it, it's printed in the introduction of Ramban to the book of Breshit, that, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah Shavistav, and two, Torah Shabal Peh. One was the Torah Shabal Peh of Nigle, that's what the Ramban calls it, of Nigle, meaning, you have a Pasuk, the Pasuk says, put on Tzvillin, so God showed them, this is what Tzvillin look like, this is what a Sukkah looks like, this is what a Lulav and an Esrog and Adad, this is what they look like, somebody had to know, that's called Torah Shabal Peh. There's always a Torah Peh to any text that you learn. Any text. And the Torah was given according to the Ramah with the Torah Peh of Nigla. Plus, the Torah Peh of Nista. Nista means Kabbalah. It was just another way of looking at it. That's according to the Ramah. According to the Ramah. This has been in dispute for the last 3,000 years that we know of. Is the Torah Peh of Nista similar to, equal to, different from, obligatory, as well as... Like all of these things are in dispute, but there's no doubt that the Ramban himself thought that the Torah Shabbat of Nistar was as valid and legitimate as the Torah Shabbat of Nigla, and no one could say that the Ramban didn't put in a full-time effort into both studies. His knowledge of Nigla was unparalleled in his time. He was the God of Hador. 
and his knowledge of Nisgar. We don't know because he only let us in on a little, little bit of his knowledge. So, so when the Ramban says at the end of a long discussion about Shiluah Hakan, he says, listen, I have to tell you what it says in the Sefer of Ahir. It seems to me that what the Ramban is saying is we haven't got it yet. We've discussed it and we've talked about it and we've reflected upon it but we don't have it. There's something that we're missing. So what are we missing? Let's look at what he quotes. Omer Abachmai. It's like uh, one of the people who are quoted in the Sefer Abba. We don't know exactly who that is. There's like Parshanut. How come it says as Ha'av? So what if the as Ha'im? What if the father's sitting on the Beitzim? I mean, I don't. I didn't check this out in my Discovery movies. Like Penguins. great. Actually, I did see a movie. Okay. Below Maris Ha'av. So there's like there's like a question of Parshanut. Question, a regular kind of question, a drudge kind of question. How come the Torah says, hey, mother, and doesn't say father? I wonder the father is sitting on the, on the Ephrochim, so that you don't have to be merciful. So this is like the end of the mercy path. It, that, that's, that's what it says in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, St. Rabbul here. How can you say it's mercy? When, if you happen upon a situation where the father is sitting on the chicks, you don't have to be merciful. Whereas for me, what difference does it make to me who's sitting on what? I mean, if it's a kind of human interactive sort of thing, I should be merciful in both cases. But the Pasek said, don't be merciful. So you see that according to the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah is not just like alternative. The Kabbalah wants to be another layer. Like when, when you run out of shots, we say when you run out of whatever you're doing, along comes the Kabbalah to the rescue. So here we have a problem, and the problem is, uh, So now you have here like a, a dictionary. There's a dictionary. So you look it up in the dictionary. You're not going to find this in the dictionary. But the capitalists, they have a dictionary. They had their own little dictionary. They took a little dictionary off the, off, the, uh, off the wall. And they said, they looked up aim. And what did it say in the dictionary? It said Bino. Bino? It's a word, we all know that word. Now, Bino, we know, is a certain high level of understanding, of knowledge, of uh, insightfulness. But you also know that Bina is the name of one of the spheros. I've always said, you know, everybody should know all the spheros, because when you count spheros to Omer, you mention the spheros, and so that's how I learned when I was a kid, but I didn't have a clue what it meant, but it was always a cute game to try to figure out what night it was, what you were supposed to say. But you know, there are ten spheros, and they're divided into two groups, three and seven. And the three are the higher ones, and the seven are the lower ones. The higher ones are Kesar, Chochmah, and Bina. That means Bina is the third of the ten, or the third of the three, depending on how you look at it. And below that are Chesed, Vura, 
The Ferris makes a focus of Malchus. Now those words, Chesed words, the Ferris makes a focus of Malchus, are words that we can relate to. People use them. People use them, maybe not in their precise Kabbalistic uh, formulations, but they're regular Hebrew words. So if I say Avram Avinu was Chesed, let's say I would say that. Let's say I say that. So everybody understands what I'm talking about. Avram Avinu was Machlis Orchim, and Avram Avinu was Begayer Geirim, and Avram Avinu was nice to load. You know, no problem. There's no problem saying Chesed, Gevur. But if I say Keser, Chachma, Bina, that's already a little harder. Even though we know that in Shemona Esrei, Chazal used the word Bina as though we understand it. So we'll imagine that we understand. Along comes the Sefer Abbaer, and the Sefer Abbaer says that in our dictionary, in our dictionary, the sphere called Bina has another name. And that other name is Hain. And now they had this thing about about, uh, about sexuality, about uh, male and female, mother and father, do parts of faith. You know, they had this thing about it. But, okay, let's... What difference does it make to us where this all comes from? Right? We're just trying to understand what the Ramban is leading us into. So Ramban is leading us into the Sefer Abboi. The Sefer Abboi has a, has a dictionary. In the dictionary of the Sefer Abboi, the word Bina also means aim, which means that, oh, there's something going on here in the Pesach. Because what does the Pesach say? Shalach to Shalach. That's our aim. What does the Pesach not say? As a so, so if we're talking about mercy, if we're talking about developing quality of mercy in ourselves, then the Sefer boy says, uh, it's a Why, why aim and why not out? But if we're talking about something else, then I understand that aim means bina, we're talking about bina, so that's fine. He says, also so there's a positive mishlein which validates the dictionary of the Kabbalists. This is how they do it. This is how they do it. So they say, okay, Bina, that's Eno. What is Bina? We have to know something about Bina. My, that abonim tikach We don't, like, we don't know it yet, but we'll understand. I'll say it in a minute. Man, ve'es abonim tikach What is that? That's the Kedyech of the Bosok, right? So there's aim. That's Bina. What's Bonin? Again, he's swinging in with his posuk. Right, the banim of the aim. But since the aim is now, what's aim? Equal bina. So who are the banim of bina? That's the question. Who are the banim of bina? So long as my new shivat yemei asuka, the divei shivat yemei. So now this is, of course, we know exactly who the Banim of Bina are. And who are the Banim of Bina? We know. Chesed, Gvur, Teferis, Neitzach, Hodi, Sod, Malkut, I told you. There are ten Sfirot. Bina is number three. And since the Sfirot sort of empty one into the other, so who are the obvious Banim? Who are the obvious Banim of, uh, of Bina? Who are they? The, the, the bottom seven sphere. What does Rabbi Achmai say? Is though he never learned any Kabbalah at all. He says no. Seven days of Sukkot. 
seven days. It doesn't say it here, but the other commentaries say the seven years of Shemitah, right? Seven years of any seven days of the week, including Shabbat. So, what is it? What is it that we're trying to say? So, we're still missing, here's the Ramban. The Ramban says, this is it. If you know the Sefer Bahir, you'll understand it. Of course, the Ramban, unfortunately, doesn't explain to us what the Sefer Bahir says, so we're kind of stuck. So I will explain to you what the Sefer Bahir said, based on a book called the Tamei HaMitzvot Al-Pi HaKabalah, which is in a Ketav in the Hebrew University, but parts of it are published here and there and the other place, and therefore I can almost quote it to you. The Tamei HaMitzvot, the Tamei HaMitzvot, Sefer Kabbalah says this, that Shiluach HaKan is telling us that in our relationship with God, Bina is the limit. We can't understand any more about God than Bina. And the hints that God gave us about why the world is the way the world is, is in this kind of, the fact that we live in a world that's based on seven. Seven days, and seven years, and seven days of Sukkot, Pesach six days, and Shavuot one more day, seven weeks later. All of this is part of, part of, uh, of the directive of the Torah. In other words, the Torah, this is something the Kabbalists understood. The Torah is mind expanding, right? The Torah says, learn. If you learn, you'll understand. If you evolve yourself, you'll know more and more. More and more about what? According to the Kabbalists. More and more about God. Because I'll know what God wanted if I learn the mitzvah. So I know that God wants me to do the mitzvah, and I'll somehow understand why God wants me to do the mitzvah. That's what I will understand. Along comes Shemuch Khan and says, according to the Sefer of Bahir, but you have to know that there's a limit. There are things you can understand. You can understand God's will in the world. But that doesn't mean that we can really understand God. That's what the that's what the Sefer Abahir comes to tell us. Now, is this Pshat or Drash? I don't know. I don't know. But it's based on the fact that the mitzvah is difficult. We don't understand why God wants us to do it. And instead, we're going to uh, we're going to under, we're going to learn from the from the mitzvah of Shiloh HaKan that human the human abilities to understand God are limited. So whereas according to the Rambam the human ability to understand God is almost zero. We don't understand anything about God. According to the Ramban, we understand all kinds of things about God. But only those things that God wants us to understand. And those things are found in the Torah. And they give it a kind of a, of a, of a reasonableness that enables us to enter into the discussion. The Mitzvah Shiloh HaKan says, there's a limit beyond which we cannot progress and that limit is called the aim, Shalash Aim, that's Bino Al Habonim. That you can't you can't have it both ways. 
You can't have the bonin and the aim. You can't have the, the understanding plus the understanding of God. That's what it says. Now there's one more section we'll try to uh, learn quickly. Yeah. Uh, so why is that necessary? Do you really have some of my problems about the person? that's, that's you, you mean, what will the Kabbalists say about Paraduma? Uh, this is a uh, Nista that it tells us there's a limitation. Paraduma tells us quite explicitly that there's a limitation. So why Who said that? That Paraduma had the Torah. No, no, I mean, isn't it true, that, isn't it true that Rashi yeah, says... No, of course, that's the Torah. And then Yeah, but doesn't Rashi say that the Goyim are going to come and they're going to say this is nonsense? They'll say Kalayim are nonsense? And you're not going to say that you'll say to them, well, I'll do it because God wants me to do it. And therefore it's not nonsense. It says Goyim. It says the Goyim, but it doesn't mean that we amongst ourselves. I mean, after all, the Gemara says that Shalom HaMelech did understand all the Chukim. Except for Paraduma. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know Shalom Oh, that's a good one. Let's look at the Meshilach. The last piece on the other side. The second piece. The first, the first piece is based on what we've just learned. Ema Begimorit. You see the second piece on the left hand side. Ema Begimorit. Shnei Mitzvot Be'er Shekot Yerob HaTzchorim Ahaz Kalash Rebekal Shekot Chamuros Rebekamuros So this is what the Gemara says. And this is what Rashi quoted. Rashi said there's a Mitzvah Kala. What's a Mitzvah Kala? That's and the Gemara says there's also a mitzvah chamura. What's the mitzvah chamura? That's a hard one, right? Is anybody able to satisfy his parents? Never. Right? Never happened. So, so that's called a mitzvah chamura, according to the Gemara. So the words here are used, a kala, easy, light. Right? Anybody can do it. Mitzvah chamura. That's a rough one. Kaber is a bicho vesimecho. Right? Zigemar and Chulim. And then he says, Kishilu hachakad, Moresh yuchal adam lazov kol tov olam azeh, Bishvil kavod Hashem yisvorach, Zenikra kalosh shebekalot. Ki kol nefesh b'Yisrael muchan lazeh. Uvimokom sh'adam ozev tova, Shamhu nafhi me'od. So he says, a mitzvah kawa. A mitzvah kawa means, uh, it's a, again, go back to the, see the parentheses on the fourth, the fifth line. Shiloh hakan moreh. Shiloh hakan teaches us. Sheyuchal ha'adam la'azov kol tovo lamazeh. That a person has the capacity to leave all of the good of this world for the kavod, the honor of God. And zenikra kalash v'kalot. In other words, kal means that it's your inclination. It's the way you were created. After all, we were created of God. So it should be easy for us to do what God wants. To do something that doesn't, you know, change anything. That doesn't affect anything. He called nefesh Yisrael muhan that Every Jewish soul is prepared to come closer to God. And a person who leaves the goodness of the world that he lives in. So I think that what the Meshilach is saying is 
Here you are in the middle of nowhere. Right? You're in the middle of nowhere. You're detached. You don't have your house. You don't have your car. You don't have all the material goods that... And then you see in the world God saying to do something. So that becomes the easiest thing in the world. The easiest thing in the world that it reflects your nature. That's what you want to do. If you are not encumbered by all the things that drag you down and keep you tied into whatever place you're in, you'd be able to do it easily. What's kavarav? Kavarav means giving pleasure. Giving pleasure to your father. Doing what he wants. Doing something that he needs. And that's called Hamura Sheba Hamura. That's called Hamur. That's called Hamur because you're giving up to give to somebody else. You're giving away. Just by Shiloh Khan, you're not doing anything. You're not giving up anything. Says in, in something like like you have food. So the halacha is you have to give your father first. Okay, if you give your father first, you might not get as much as you want. So in order to do the mitzvah of Kibbutz you might be sacrificing your own pleasure. And he says, it's very hard to do that. Believe Shum Nagiyah without saying, gee, I mean, really, he doesn't eat so much anyway. And he always leaves the food over. And he doesn't even like it. And, and maybe I shouldn't, you know, and i really hungry. You know, like... It's, it's very hard. It's very hard. So you have these two mitzvot. You have two mitzvot, the mitzvot, Shiloh HaKad. It doesn't call upon you to do anything. You don't give up anything. You don't, you don't lose anything. So, so you're unencumbered by, by all the negatives of living in the world. And Kibbutz which is a hard mitzvah, it means sharing. It means giving away what you have or what you think you should get. So he makes a note that if you look at the Pesach about Shiloh HaKan, first it says good, you'll get good. Then the Pesach says long life. Because that's what Shiloh HaKan is. Shiloh HaKan is, you're free. You're free of Olam Hazeh. You, you, you're, you're not encumbered by anything. You're not thinking about what you have to do. You're just doing Shiloh HaKan. And therefore the reward is Olam Hazeh. Your Olam Hazeh will be better. V'zothi v'adai kigam ha'adam yavinzot v'gam yavtiach lo shi'arich yamim and certainly, once you know that that, that the Olam Hazeh is yours, so then the Torah says, But by keeping Avva, it's the reverse. Right? By Shiloh Hazkat, it says, By keeping Avva, it says, Why? Because it's about Olam Haba. 
So it's like the Torah says, Kabedis Avicha is a mecha. I know it's a hard mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that calls upon you to deal with with yourself and your possessions and the things you have and dividing up according to some kind of plan with your with your parents, he says, for that you get Olam Haba. Because you had to separate yourself. Shilohakan, you don't have to separate yourself. You see that that the Meshiloh enters into a different level of discussion. So what we what we talked about tonight was this. First we said we asked what the mitzvah of Shiloh Hakan could possibly be about. We saw the position of the Rashbam that says it's a question of developing mercy. And then we looked together at the Ramban uh, virtually. The Ramban quotes the Rambam. The Rambam deals with the question of whether we do things for God or we do things because God says it's good for us to do them. The Rambam says it's hard to imagine doing something good for God. The Rambam says the Cholzot, just like the world was created because God wanted to create the world, so God gives mitzvot because God thinks that it's important to give the mitzvot. So that even though the mitzvot have an aspect that is good for us, but somehow they must also reflect some sort of goodness in heaven. However, the Rambam realizes that in terms of explaining the idea of Kan Sipor, he has a real problem. And that problem is, why does the mercy only extend to the mother and the chicks? Why not the father and the chicks? How can you be merciful to go around killing this one and you don't kill that one? So for that, he brings our attention to the Sefer Habahir. And the Sefer Abahir seems to say that there's a hidden topic, like besides mercy, which is a quote of a, an obvious uh, topic in Shiloh HaKad, there's a hidden topic in Shiloh HaKad that has to do with, it's true that the Kabbalists will say that by looking at the mitzvot, I can find something out about God. Like I can look at the, se- at the cycles of seven, the seven days, the seven years, the seven days of, of Sukkot and Pesach. I can find out something about God, but that something is limited by Bina, right? I can't get beyond the Bina of it to understand any more than that of God. Finally, the Meshulah says that even though the Gemara seems to equate the mitzvot of Shiloh HaKan and Kibbut HaVahim and that's the Rashi that we started out with we started at the beginning even though the Gemara equates the mitzvot of Shiloh HaKan and Kibbut HaVahim they really are essentially different because Shiloh HaKan does not imply giving up any kind of uh, 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 restrictions of, of, uh, of wealth or financial uh, things that have accrued to you whereas Whereas Kibbutz Aim does, and nevertheless, there's that equation that in both kinds of mitzvot you have lemani tavloch varachto yamim. Have a good job.